Well, if you have your Bibles, let's uh, open the Word of God this morning. Luke chapter 2. Uh, we'll read a few verses this morning, beginning in verse 4. I'm not going to read the whole chapter. This is the Christmas chapter, though, right? Luke chapter 2. We'll begin reading in verse 4. So when you found your place, if you would stand with us for the reading of God's Word. And uh, we want to take a portion of this chapter and, and let God speak to us from His Word this morning. This may be a chapter that you read together. I know we often do. And uh, reading about the birth of Christ, a great passage of Scripture. So familiar territory this morning. And I want to just go and, and see what the Lord has for us there. So let's have prayer, and then we'll begin right there at verse number 4 of Luke chapter 2. All right, let's pray together. Father, how we love you today and how we thank you as we celebrate Christmas. Lord, we remember the birth of Christ, and uh, Lord, we, we thank you for it because we know that through your coming, the life and ministry that you uh, displayed, and then, Lord, because of that, you, you were able and willing to go to the cross and die for the sins of the, of the world. And Lord, we thank you for what came from that because that's what provided forgiveness and the opportunity of salvation. Lord, we thank you for being willing to go. We're, we're, we're saddened that it was our sins that put you on the cross. But Lord, we're thankful that not only did you die and was buried, but that you rose again. And in a few months, we'll celebrate that part as well. So in this season, we remember your coming, and we're thankful for it. And Lord, you are the reason for our Christmas, because we love you. And Lord, we, we honor you with, with the way we celebrate. And being here this morning and talking about these things, our desire is to lift you up. And we pray you'd help us do that. Lord, we pray you'd also help us to learn from your life and testimony and the things that we'll read in just a moment. We ask, dear Holy Spirit, that you'd be our teacher and guide, that you'll take the things of the Scriptures and apply them to our life so that we would know what you'd have us to do. And Lord, we want to honor you not just with our lips, but with our life. So help us do that this Christmas season and always. And we'll thank you for all you do. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. In Luke chapter 2, verse 4, the Bible says, And Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, 
Let us now go even to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Thank you so much. You may be seated. Would you notice with me? And if you're in the habit of marking in your Bible, you may want to mark these verses. Verse 7. The Bible says, And laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. Again, in verse 12, the Bible says, And this shall be a sign unto you, you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And then again in verse 16, And they came with haste, and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Three times in a very short passage, the Lord used this word manger. And I believe it's to highlight the way that our Lord came and was born. I noticed this word manger, it stuck out in my mind. I I noticed that, that it was on our minds last night as we played those Christmas games. And I thought, you know, here is the Lord emphasizing to us the manger scene. And so I want to bring a message this morning that I've entitled, Messages from a Manger. What was God trying to say to us from the manger that we read about in Luke chapter 2? Here we find the Lord Jesus as a babe lying in a manger, the Bible says. What's the meaning of this? I believe there are messages there for us. And I want to give you probably the predominant three. The first, I believe, is a message from this manger. It's not just any manger. It's the manger that was filled by the Lord Jesus Christ. The babe of Bethlehem. Heaven's son. The redeemer, the savior, the Christ, the promised one, the Messiah. The one who would come and save the world from sin. This manger sends a message. What is it? It's a message of surrender. A message of surrender. Think about that. What does it mean to surrender? Well, to surrender means to give up. It means to yield oneself. And isn't that exactly what the Lord is doing here? He is giving up his life. Many songs have been written about how the Lord forsook heaven and came to earth and was born in a lowly manger. Now we know, because his life didn't end on earth, that he didn't give all that up permanently. But the idea that he was willing to lay it aside should be astounding to us. He would give up that for this? Well, we're just the opposite. We're here and we're longing to be there. Isn't it amazing that he loved us enough that he was willing to lay that aside? He did that through his surrender. And I thought about surrender. I thought about yielding oneself. I I thought about the Christmas message and the Christmas story. It reminded me of Mary. So do this, if you would. Turn back a page and look at Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. Now Mary was the mother, the earthly mother of the Lord Jesus. And the Bible says that God came and spoke to Mary before all of this happened, to tell her what would be. In Luke chapter 1, in verse 26, the Bible says, And in the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God unto a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph, 
of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou art highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shalt call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and he shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David, and he shall reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be no end. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing I know not a man? And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born in thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she also hath conceived a son in her old age. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For with God... Nothing shall be impossible. Well, that should tell us something right there. And how did Mary respond to that? The Bible says in the next verse, And Mary said, Behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me according to thy word. And the angel departed from her. Wow. What a testimony. God looked down from heaven over the face of the whole earth. No wonder he chose Mary. He saw something that you and I couldn't see. Deep down within the heart of this woman was the spirit of surrender. And God saw her willingness. God called upon her to be the vessel that would give birth to the Lord Jesus Christ. And instead of Mary responding like Zacharias did in the temple... Mary just said, be it unto me according to thy word. What faith is in her answer? What humility is in her answer? But oh, what surrender. As she gives her body to the Lord to be the vessel to give birth to the promised Messiah, Jesus. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it awesome? No wonder she was highly favored. Because God always looks for willing vessels, yielded to his purpose and plan. She definitely was so. And when the angel gave the announcement, she surrendered herself. Look at Mary's surrender. What a testimony. What an example. But then I want you to challenge, or I want to challenge you to look at Jesus' surrender. In Luke chapter 22, if you care to turn there, in verse 42, we'll just read one verse to see his, his comments. In Luke 22, the Lord Jesus, just before his crucifixion, he's anticipating the cross. And the Bible says he withdraws himself into the Mount of Olives to pray. And as he prays in agony to the Father, anticipating the crucifixion that's coming, he prays this way in verse 42. And he says to the Father, Father, 
If thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. What do we see here in the life, on the lips of the Lord Jesus? We find full surrender to the will of the Father, to the plan of God, painful as it may be, agonizing as it was. The Bible says in anticipation, the stress that he endured, knowing what was coming, was so great that he sweat great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying about this matter of the cross that is to come. Yet at the same time, he says, not my will, but thine be done. I see Jesus surrendering in the garden, and I think Jesus surrendered like Mary, his mother. No wonder God used them. The spirit of surrender was great in their life and in their heart. And so the message that we get from the manger is a message of surrender. How we, should, we too should be willing to do the work of God and the will of God in our lives. We too should be willing to say those words, Be it unto me according to thy word. Not my will, but thine be done. Are we? The message of the manger is a message of surrender. The reason we celebrate Christmas is because Jesus surrendered himself to the will and plan of God and he came to be the sacrifice for us. But not only does the manger deliver a message of surrender, it delivers another message and it's very similar. It's a message of submission. Now you might be thinking, Pastor, isn't Submission and surrender, the same thing? Mm, no. They are very close. But there's a little bit of a difference. Surrender involves giving in, but submission involves going under. Think about it. What is submission anyway? Submission is this. It's obedience to the authority of another. The word submit or submission literally means to place yourself under. Think about that. Think about the wording very carefully. To place yourself under. Guess what that is? That's voluntary. So submission is a voluntary act whereby we place ourselves under the authority of another. That's what Jesus did. That's why he was in a manger. So we see the, the message of submission very clear. Look what the Bible says about Jesus. If you would, turn to Philippians chapter 2. In Philippians chapter 2, and again, this is a, a very familiar passage of Scripture but it gives us the mind of Christ or the spirit of Christ. What was that mind? What was that spirit? In Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, the Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, 
he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. This passage is a passage of submission. And it tells us of Jesus who humbled himself. And though he was equal with God, he took upon himself the form of a servant. He was made in the likeness of men. He humbled himself. He placed himself under the authority of God and he fulfilled God's plan. By the way, did you notice in the passage that it refers to the day coming and it says that every knee should bow. Every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Wait a minute. Isn't he Lord? Yes, he is. Then why does it say should? Because submission is a voluntary act. You know, we have to choose to submit. We have to choose to place ourselves under. And in these days, during this era of what we call the church age or the age of grace, this is the time where should is ruling. This is the opportunity that men have to place themselves under the authority of the Lord, to receive Christ as their Savior. Hey, rest assured, there are verses that say one day every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess. What's the difference? Now it's should, but one day it'll be shall. Do you get the picture? Hey, God has given every one of us an opportunity to place ourselves under his care. It's the age of grace. It's the goodness of God. It was the sacrifice of Calvary that made it possible. But you and I know there are always those who will refuse to be obedient. They will refuse to surrender. They will refuse to submit. They will not place themselves under the Lord Jesus Christ. Though they should, they will not. For those people, there's coming a day when they shall. When they shall. And they will surrender. They will, they will bow the knee. They will confess. But they will not receive the benefit of that confession because then it'll be too late. They will have refused their opportunity to submit themselves to the Lord Jesus and accept his grace. Hey, that'll be a sad day for them. And by the way, that's why we, that's why we need to tell folks what this season's all about. The message of the manger is a message of submission. And Jesus, being a good leader, is leading by example. He's not asking us to do something he's never done. He submitted himself to the will of the Father. He humbled himself. He became obedient. Submission comes, we learn from, from Philippians 2, submission comes in the form of humility. When you're submitting to someone, you don't make demands. Jesus didn't say in the garden as he prayed, Lord, I'm going to do your will, but now I want... He didn't do that. Now, Lord, if I'm going to do this, now I expect there were no terms, there were no conditions, there were no demands. 
Jesus humbled himself. And he took on the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And he did the will of the Father. Submission comes in the form of humility. And the humility and the submission of Christ was shown in many instances. Take, for example, when he was baptized by John the Baptist. Do you remember him coming on the scene? John was preaching. John says, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. He comes to John the Baptist and he he says, Suffer it to be so. John says, Wait a minute, I have need for you to baptize me. John wanting to place himself under the Lord. And Jesus saying, No. Suffer it to be so now. Go back and look at the words. What does the word suffer mean? It means to allow. He's saying, allow this to take place. Allow me to put myself under the authority of your ministry to be baptized. Allow me to submit myself to baptism, to your baptism. He was connecting himself with with the message of John the Baptist putting himself underneath that authority. He humbled himself. He he submitted himself. By the way, baptism is an act of submission, isn't it? It's It's the first step of obedience for every believer. So once you receive Christ as your Savior, your first assignment as a new believer is to submit to baptism. What does that mean? Baptism is like putting on the jersey of Christ's team. You're identifying with Jesus. You're saying, I'm on his team. He's my savior, right? It's like wearing his colors, showing his number. I'm with him. That's what baptism is. Baptism is literally a play that we act out. We demonstrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And as we rise in baptism, the Bible says we rise to newness of life. Because once we surrender ourselves to the Lord, we should now live for him. That doesn't mean we're going to be perfect after that. You don't get angel wings in the baptistry. I wish. But it does mean that we purpose from that point on to give great effort to being what he wants us to be and not just what we want to be. Living our lives for him the way he lived his life in the will of the Father. Submission is not only an act of humility, but submission comes in the form of obedience. Philippians chapter 2 seems to emphasize that word, obedience, obedience. Christ obeyed the word of his Father. Do you obey your authorities? Do you obey the Lord? The only way to do that is you have to voluntarily put yourself under them. Right? Now, we all do it at work. We do it for a paycheck. But the Bible says that we should do everything we do to the glory of God, right? We should do it as unto the Lord and not to men. We should do what we do to bring honor to our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And that includes the way we submit to those who are in authority over us. Christ was obeying the will of his Father And his life depicts that greatly. Here's a verse that I really like. If you'd like to see it, it's in John 8, 29. Or you can write it down and turn there later. But in John chapter 8, verse 29, Jesus says some very encouraging words to all those who are following the Lord. It's very reassuring because you no doubt will experience this yourself. 
Jesus said in verse 29, And he that sent me is with me. The Father hath not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Now, I've experienced everything but the last part. Unfortunately, I can't say I do always those things that please him because sometimes, you know, I get in the way of that. Maybe you can relate. But Jesus was able to say, I do always those things that please him. That's wonderful. But, but that's really not the part I wanted you to see. It's the first part. He said, I'm doing the will of God. And because of that, what did he say? I'm not alone. The Father is with me. Why is that important? Because how many times in the Christian life do you really feel alone? How many times in the Christian life do, do others seem to distance themselves from you? They don't quite get or understand your purpose or your meaning. Or maybe they're just not willing to submit and surrender like you're trying to do. And others are not connected with that. Sometimes doing the will of God is inconvenient. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. Sometimes it may go against the grain of what what we think. So what do we do? Well, often we feel isolated and alone in those times. But Jesus said, When we do God's will, we're never alone. He's with us. Isn't that what Jesus told the disciples? He said, I want you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And he said, and and lo, I am with you always. Even to the end of the world, there's no place you can go to witness to others where Jesus is not with you. He said, go into all the world. You you can't go to the wrong place and you can't witness to the wrong person. That's pretty reassuring, isn't it? And God said, I'm going to accompany you. Why? Why would he do that? Because he wants them to hear the message of salvation more than you do. God wants everyone everywhere to repent and be saved. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But he's not going to make them do it. He's going to give them an opportunity to do it. Wow, and to think that that opportunity may hinge on our willingness to witness. It It should compel us to go, should it not? The message of submission. You know what? Submission is only beautiful when it's done willingly. Submission is a voluntary act. If you have to coerce in order to get submission, it's, it, it's lost its beauty. The joy of God in fellowshipping with us is when we willingly turn and worship Him. It's when we willingly say, I love you, Lord. If he forced us to do it, it would lose its meaning. And that's why leadership should not be dictatorship. That's why followership is important. Who you choose to follow and who you choose to place yourself under and support and get behind, it's important. It matters. And it's unfortunate in this life that sometimes we let our priorities get out of whack and sometimes we get under things that we really, that really don't mean a lot. And sometimes we support things and we may even do it half-heartedly because deep down inside we really know that's not really what I'm about. 
But that's not the sad part. The sad part is when we actually fail to get behind the good things and place ourselves under those who are, who are doing something for God and, and, and we fail to get behind them and support them and push with everything we've got. Hey, you know what? That's why good causes fail. That's why, that's why good things come to an end. That's why church doors close. That's why ministries cease. That's why missionaries come off the field. And there's a lot of good things we could look around in our world that don't happen because somebody somewhere didn't submit. They just weren't willing to place themselves under and support. God help us. What a beautiful picture in the life of Jesus. The message from the manger is a message of submission. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 17, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Well, hey, wait a minute. Isn't that the same thing? Isn't obedience and sub... No. You can do what they say without being submissive. Every employee knows that. In order for it to be beautiful, in order for it to be heartfelt... We have to obey and submit. And that honors God. The message from a manger is a message of surrender. It's a message of submission, but not only that. Here's one more. It's a message of sacrifice. Because we know when we look at that manger scene, when we see the nativity and the babe wrapped in those swaddling clothes, as humble as it was, we also know why? Why did Jesus come? Why was he born there? Why the announcement to the world and the shepherds? Why? Jesus laid in that manger. He was born for one reason. So that he could die. He came to die. Isn't that interesting? Jesus died for us. Have you read Romans 12, 1 and 2? I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your minds, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Why is that in the Bible? Because God wants you to know that his life was like no other. He was born to die, but he doesn't ask us to die for him. He wants us to live for him. He died for us that we might live for him. What a trade. What a trade. You mean God gave us his righteousness and he took our sinfulness? Absolutely. Hey, you think about the worst thing about you. Jesus carried that to his cross. He knew exactly what he was getting when you came to him for salvation, and he gladly accepted you. And you know what? We didn't, we didn't quite exactly know what we were getting. We just knew it was a whole lot better than what we were given. We traded Jesus for this? Who got the better end of that deal? Well, it looks like we did. Isn't God good? 
But all of that is true because Jesus sacrificed. Are you willing to sacrifice? Because it's required if you're going to serve God. It's required if you want your life to have that kind of depth and meaning and purpose. Serving the Lord requires sacrifice. Not everything we do for God is convenient and comfortable. God calls us to get out of what we refer to as our comfort zone. God calls us, like Peter, to get out of the boat and walk on the water. You know, sometimes we have to walk on instability and uncertainty. Sometimes we have to be willing to go where we've never gone before. We have to stand on, on, on principles and things that, that we, we're not sure if this can hold me. But it's okay. Because you can walk on water when Jesus says come. And when we follow him, our sacrifice has value, it has meaning, and it has purpose. And great is the sum of what God can do with our lives when we put those matters in his hands, just like the little boy who had a little lunch one day. And they said, is there any food around here? And, and the disciples said, yeah, there's a, there's a boy here with a lunch, but hey, what's that among all these people? Jesus took that lunch and multiplied it. And he fed thousands. And, and, and the Bible says they took up the fragments and they had more in the end than they started with in the beginning. But wait a minute. We get so excited about what Jesus did, we forget. There was a little boy somewhere who had to give up his lunch. And you know, you and I, we're, we're like that little boy. And God calls to us to do something with our lives. And we feel often like that little boy. And we're faced with that same choice. Should I give up my lunch? Oh, now, if he could have read the chapter beforehand like we do, then he would have known it's worth the trade. But guess what? In real time, you're not going to know it's worth the trade either. When you're faced with that decision, you're still going to have to make it. Hey, I'm telling you, it's always worth the trade. When we sacrifice for the Lord, look what he does with it. Look what he did with his. Jesus himself, he's not asking us to do something that he wasn't willing to do. Because the message of the manger is one of great sacrifice. Oh, we read the story about the manger scene and we read the story about the star and all of that. We, we, we saw the shepherds and the angels. But you know, the story continues. Mary and Joseph, they took Jesus into the temple to present him before God. And you might call it a baby dedication. We, we do those sometimes today. When that happens, it's, it's really a dedication of the parents because the parents are committing themselves to raise their child for the Lord. It's really more on them than it is the, the, the baby, but we, we call it that. Here, Mary and Joseph, they're presenting Jesus in the temple, and Anna and Simeon come out of nowhere, and they start praising God. And, and, and here's old Simeon, God foretold him that he wouldn't, he wouldn't die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he comes in the temple that day, and there he is. And he begins to tell Mary and Joseph these things. Can you imagine them hearing this? Your baby is Jesus, the Messiah. Well, they already knew. Mary knew. The angel foretold that. But just to hear that, isn't that amazing? This is the promised one. But guess what? All of that's just a reminder of why he came. 
they told Mary, these things are going to pierce your heart. She didn't know the agony she would feel one day sitting at the foot of that cross watching her son crucified. But they were telling her it's coming. And Simeon said, this is going to be a sign. And you remember Jesus told the Pharisees, this generation is seeking a sign and there shall none be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. What was that? Three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. So Jesus was three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. But that's all. Because after that, he came forth, resurrected, victorious. And because he had paid the price of sin, shedding his blood on the cross, and now risen from the grave, conquering all of that, he stood victorious. And by the way, that's why Jesus has the authority in heaven to forgive sins. And he's the only one who does. No person, no pope, no church, no denomination has the authority to absolve or forgive sins because they didn't pay the price that Jesus paid on the cross. Christmas time reminds us of that, doesn't it? You plan to purchase any gifts? In order to give those gifts, you first have to go pay for them. And once you pay for them, that gives you the authority then to wrap it up and put whoever's name you want. And when you meet them, you extend that gift and it becomes theirs when they receive it. And no doubt, it's going to be free of charge, is it not? That's what a gift is. If they had to do something for it, it wouldn't be a gift. If they had to pay for it, it wouldn't be a gift. And who determined that it's a gift? And who it would be given to? The purchaser. Right? Not the clerk at the store, not the manufacturer, the one who purchased the gift. Hey, Jesus purchased our gift. The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the Bible says, for whosoever shall believe on the Lord shall be saved. If you've never experienced God's forgiveness, I invite you to do that today to receive the gift of eternal life, it would make this the best Christmas ever. If you have received Jesus' gift, then I encourage you, take every opportunity you have this Christmas to share it with others. Point them to the gift. Talk about how beautiful, how wonderful it is. And by the way, if you never have, make sure you open up Christ's gift and take a, a good look at what's inside. Because the Bible says he has many gifts for us that he gives inside there also. That's another message. But the message from the manger is a message of sacrifice. Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice as he gave himself for us. And because he did, we celebrate what we now call Christmas. Let's make sure that he's the reason for the season. Let's make sure he's the centerpiece of our celebration and that we make much of him this time of year. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, how we love you today. How we thank you, Lord, for these messages that come from that lowly manger in the nativity scene that we talk about. We ask you, Lord, to help us that we too might hear and receive these messages, Lord, that we also might participate by 
following the example that you set. Lord, we ask you to do your work now in our hearts. Help us to act upon the things that that you're leading us to say and do. Lord, if there's one here that's never received the gift of God, I pray today would be the day they open it. And know the forgiveness and the love of God and receive salvation so that they too might have heaven as their home. Lord, how we love you, how we thank you. Help us to share all of this with others. In Jesus' name we pray.